You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Bruce Adams and Tavish. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are we doing this afternoon? Are we still good? Yes, sir, we are. Welcome back. Appreciate you uh, hanging around this afternoon. Bruce, how are you? Still healthy and alive. Okay, that's good. That's good. So because we're getting back to COVID, aren't we? Coronavirus well, cases we are, are surging yeah. in 21 states, yeah. right? Because, you know, the, yeah. the riots are starting to fizzle out. So, uh, okay. So today we're going to get into... We're going to get into some of those uh, those riots. We're going to get into uh, Antifa. We're going to get into a little bit of what it means to talk on how to build society, how to facilitate society, and how the people that are out there calling for change know none of that. So we're going to talk about all that today. But first, I thought we would get into some things that are happening in the area of Massachusetts. And just so happens, we happen to have a Massachusetts resident with us today. So... Tavish, I thought I would jump to you. Apparently, there's been some protesters, right? I love the term protesters. Uh, rioters is more like it. Protesters in Massachusetts and Virginia, in an act of solidarity with indigenous peoples, they've gone after Christopher Columbus statues. They beheaded the one in Boston. Have you heard about it? Yes. Actually, for Columbus, this has been going on for a few decades on college campuses. Um, when I worked at UMass, we would have a annual protest takeover building for Columbus Day because of quote, what he did to indigenous people. I understand that they had issues, but the way they went about it was just, I'm sorry, you, you just more or less have to laugh. What was the point cutting the head off a statue? What's the point? You know, would it not be better to have a constructive conversation about how to change perceptions, practices, things like that? Cutting the head off a statue, it's like throwing paint on a statue. Okay, what, what's the point? What, what did you just prove? Well, I think it's about sending a bigger message. They're in the process of erasing history. That's what they're doing. And more than that, I think it, it follows along the lines of, and you know, please let me know if you, if you disagree with this or you have a different thought or you want to add to it. This is starting to fall along the lines of what the Nazis did of book burning. This is what they're doing. They're erasing knowledge of the past. Would you agree? Yes. And so by allowing this to continue... This type of behavior, we're not doing ourselves any favors here. We're not doing ourselves any any service for future generations because you have a generation now that's been brought up in the compromised education system. We talked yesterday, or I think it was yesterday, about the underpinnings of what it means to get that education of development coming up from a younger age to teach you how to be a better individual and teach you how to be a um, a productive member of society and. These people have none of that. So, I mean, like I said, this is points we're going to cover later on this afternoon. But I, I just kind of wanted to get your take on it. What was the, what? What's your kind of um, what? What's your gauge of how the average public up there? Because I mean, I know you talk to people, and what, what's your gauge of how people are behaving up there that see these things that go on in your community, and that uh, th these people that go out there and they, they deface stuff like this and they tear this stuff down. I mean, that's rather you agree with that part of what happened in our society or not, it's it's completely irrelevant because that's our history. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, especially if it's bad, we need to know it because if we don't know the worst of what we've done, then we don't learn and we run the higher risk of repeating it. Exactly. For those who do not learn history, they are doomed to repeat it. And I, I'm paraphrasing that, that famous saying, I wish I could knew who it was that said it. But realistically, we have, to, like you said, we have to have the good and the bad because that's how we learn. Whether it's World War II and the Nazis, the Civil War and the Civil War statues, Christopher Columbus, any controversial figure or time period, you have to learn the good and the bad. That gives you the context. If you just see one side of it, you're not getting the whole story and you're not being informed. If you're not informed, you are not educated about that stuff. But that's just my feeling. Because I rambled there. So the first part of my question there was, what kind of attitude are you getting from people, like people's reaction to these things that are happening in the city of Boston? Have you talked to anybody about any of that stuff? For the people I know, the majority of them are like me. It's like, you got to take good and the bad. You know, a lot of bad things happened, whether it was Christopher Columbus, the Nazis, whatever it was. But you have to have the complete picture. 
otherwise you're not getting all the knowledge you need to make informed decisions. So they're they're not really with it. They're like, it's more like an amateur stunt. Oh, wow. They cut a head off a statue. Okay. What are you trying to teach us? What, what, what is the meaning of what you did and how does it relate to history and the context of history? French Revolution and the guillotines, remember? Guillotine the rich. That's what I'm taking away from it. I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm just saying that's that's kind of what I'm taking of. And the French Revolution, that was a left-wing movement. So, I mean, that's that's what it was. It was guillotine the rich. So, I mean, it's, it's how it was. But anyway, all right. Now, George Floyd's family, we're going to talk about the UN here for a second. George Floyd's family, right? They're calling on the UN to intervene in the investigation and to help with systemic police reform. Explain. Okay. For, first of all, right. Before we get into what all this stuff is, right. Bef- before we get into all this, the, this nonsense. Okay. First and foremost, we said it the other day, Congress, they're introducing the Democrats, the house Democrats, they're introducing a police reform bill or something. Isn't that what it was, Bruce? Uh, some kind of yes. a police reform. Okay. First of all, we do not make decisions for the police departments at the federal level. Our system does not operate like that. Period. End of story. That's not up for debate. They don't set law enforcement policy at the federal level. Doesn't happen. That's a local and state issue. That's it. So for this, I I don't know who's coaching that family. I don't know who it is. I, I have some guesses, but this nonsense about let's get the UN involved to intervene in the investigation. Those people don't have any business even being in the country in the first place. None. They've lost all credibility. Any shred of credibility that those people have, they've lost it in the midst of this coronavirus nonsense. And so now they're being pandered to like they're some kind of legitimate organization. Those people are scum. They have no business whatsoever making any arbitrary decisions in the United States or in any Western nation as far as I'm concerned. None. I don't care if it's England. I don't care if it's Germany. I don't care if it's France, Italy, Spain. Pick your favorite one. The United Nations has become a good old boys club for third world dictators, and they've been compromised by the CCP in China. I said I wasn't going to get upset. I said I wasn't going to yell. Tavish, you're supposed to keep me in check there. I wasn't. Gonna, I'm holding you responsible. In my defense, I was left unsupervised. I'm sorry, Johnny. <laughs> you really, okay, right. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Damn that COVID. Um, it's COVID's yeah, fault. It's, that's what it is. It's COVID's fault. Everything's COVID now, right? It's all COVID. So anyway, the United Nations, okay, uh, as calls to defund and abolish police departments echo around the country, right? Family of George Floyd in Minneapolis, they're asking for suggestions from the United Nations. Why? Why would they do that? Why would they do that? That's why I said, who are they being coached by? Why would they come out and ask for suggestions from the United Nations? Wouldn't you want to make suggestions or take suggestions or ask for suggestions first from your local government? You know, the place of the people that actually are responsible for what happened to that guy? I mean, that's where I would start, me personally. And then go up from there. And moreover to the fact, even if you were to take it to the highest authority, it goes to the Supreme Court, first to the state Supreme Court, then to the federal Supreme Court. But that takes years. So what are you going to do? You're going to bypass it, go straight to the U.N.? Right. What a joke. In a letter to a U.N. working group on the rights of people of African descent, Floyd's family and civil rights attorney. Here we go. Here we go. Floyd's family and civil rights attorney Ben Crump urged the U.N. to investigate Floyd's death and encourage the U.S. government to press federal criminal charges against the four officers involved. They're up in the charges at the state level now. That's why Keith Ellison, he's going to head up the prosecution, right, Bruce? That's that's who's taking the lead on it. He's going to do it himself. Yes. Yes. Okay. He's raised the charges from third degree murder to second degree murder. Okay. Third degree murder, as far as I'm concerned, by the video evidence that everybody has seen at this point, the video evidence of what happened to that guy, it's pretty much a a slam dunk. That's what it is. Because third degree murder, you could get that conviction with your eyes closed with that video and the way that it is. Second degree murder, a little bit harder to charge. And if they up it again to first, then it's probably going to be what you said. The guy's probably going to walk and watch what happens. Even... Well, even with second degree, you still have to prove a motive with second degree. Right. And right. I'm, I'm not sure they can do that. All four officers involved in Floyd's death face criminal charges ranging from second degree murder to, or excuse me, for, uh, for Shelvin, which was the, the officer that did it, uh, and aiding and abetting for the others. Perfectly justifiable charges. The request pushed for reforms, including the de-escalation techniques, independent prosecutions and autopsies for every police killing in an effort to stop further human rights abuses, including torture and extrajudicial killings of African-Americans to protect their inherent and fundamental human right to life. That 
argument that uh, they're, they're accomplices to this, right? Uh-huh. I don't think it's going to stick on one of the officers. One of the officers may actually end up walking. And I think it was the Asian officer that said, maybe you should get off of him. Don't you think it's mm-hmm. long enough? Put him on his shoulder or something. Uh-huh. And uh, so he, you'll be able to argue, the defense lawyers will be able to argue he was not intending to kill him. He tried to he, he tried to do what he could to, to save the dude because mm-hmm. the response from the superior officer uh, was, no, he's fine. That's that's why we have him on his stomach. From what I've seen and heard, it was Officer Lane is the one who was basically holding Floyd's feet. He had been on the job four days. He was the one that said, should we turn him over? Chauvin, the senior officer on scene, I believe he might have been Lane's training officer, said no. And let's face it, in a culture of hierarchy like police, military and whatnot, you defer to your higher superior. Yeah. So in this case, I think Lane would have reasonable doubt on his side because he did say, shouldn't we turn him over? He says he can't breathe. But again, he only had four days on the job. So I can understand him being hesitant to really push the issue. You know, he's been on the job for four days. You know, a rookie cop and his training officer who was, you know, close to 20 years on the force. I would probably defer as well, you know, unless I would, unless it was something really seriously wrong to make me go that extra thing to go, I could lose my job over this, but this is wrong. So I can understand uh, somebody in the job for four days, how far are they willing to push the envelope when they haven't even, you know, had a week under their belt? So I think he does have reasonable doubt on his side. The, the fact he spoke up at all gives him points in my, in my view. Mm-hmm. The lawyer has come out and said that, uh, oh boy, I'm going to have to stomach reading this. When a group of people of any nation have been systemically deprived of their universal human right to life by its government for decades, it must appeal to the international community for its support and to the United Nations for its intervention. Okay, um, you're going to appeal. Let me let me get this straight. You're, you're going to appeal to an organization about human rights. First of all, that has no credibility. Okay, that's the first thing. You're going to appeal to that organization. Second of all, the organization you're appealing to has Chinese Communist Party members and representatives and ambassadors on the Human Rights Council at the United Nations. They have three million people in concentration camps. You want to talk about uh, human rights, the the political prisoners, the organ harvesting, what they do to people that practice Falun Gong. I just the, the hypocrisy in all this, like they're supposed to be some type of um, overarching authority with, that has legitimacy. Are you kidding me? This is why Trump pulled us out of the WHO, because the entire organization has been compromised by the CCP. That's that's the whole point. He pulled us out of the WHO. Step one, UN's going to be step two. You watch. First off, what legal authority would the UN have to come in and start an investigation on American soil? No, I don't think they have that that authority. And two, like you said, I would go to my local authorities, my state authorities, federal authorities. Why are you going outside of your country for an investigation? I'm, I'm, I'm just not grasping where this connection is coming from, that nobody in the U.S. is capable of, have, of doing a fair and partial investigation. That, that, that just slanders the entire country in my eyes. I understand well, their anger, but the U.N.? Yeah, it's, well, it's the, the idea is, that's why I said, who's, who's coaching them? Because no one would say that, right? No, no average person would come out and say that. So it's going to be one of these civil rights organizations like the ACLU, who views the U.S. government as illegitimate anyway. They have for decades. And they've always looked to an international organization to solve the problems because they control that. And it's, it's, it, it's an unelected body of bureaucrats that they can run. I'm wondering if part of the reason that they're going for the UN is one, yes, the the civil rights lawyers, but also typically speaking, blacks are typically Democrat and most Democrats are for the UN and think they are a legitimate governing body. So, I mean, statistically speaking, based on polls and whatnot. So maybe they think it's a legitimate thing that, that, you know, they're, they think it would be a good idea to get them involved. They're possibly hoping to get more pressure on this. I honestly, at this point, just sit back and let the justice system do its thing because the federal government is watching this intently as well. If the state has him walk, the feds will come in and hit him with something because the way our, our justice system works is, you know, the state, when you're charged by the state, you you cannot be charged for the same crime, you know, double jeopardy, right? But there's there's kind of a loophole in that the Fed can charge you for that crime if, for example, the state, you know, you walk. 
then the Fed can come in with something and and hit them with that. So if nothing happens on the state level, then the Fed can definitely, uh, you know, bring some charges to the table. I believe the Justice Department in the past has always started investigations into certain police department practices when it was warranted. Baltimore, Chicago, Detroit, so on and so forth. Consent decrees coming up with plans on how police departments can reform themselves. So, again, I question why would they go to the U.N.? You know, again, notwithstanding the track record of um, someone being under the sway of the CCP, to be nice about it, but the simple fact the Justice Department now, again, under Trump, that's kind of slacked off, but they have, you know, entered consent degrees against police departments where it's shown police violence, police brutality, racist practices. So to me, that's the logical course. Start with the state, then go to the feds. Yes, I agree, by the way. Let's... um Let's jump over to these uh, <laughs> these protests. So right on cue, we've got counter protests. You've got people out there like the BLM protests. You got the Antifa nut jobs out there, right? I mean, all the all the groups are out there in the midst of all these protests. And you know, we've said it from the start: peaceful protests. I mean, hey, that that's your right, man. That that's the way it is. That's the First Amendment. You want to peacefully protest? I mean, like I said, I'll stand out there with you. As long as it's a just cause, you know, I'll, st- I'll stand out there with you if it's something I believe in. Sure. That's our right as Americans. That's our birthright to be able to do that. So what's the inevitable situation here that the establishment that funds these protesters? And yes, I said funds. The ones that fund these protesters. What's their goal? Their goal is conflict. It's race war they want. It's civil war they want. You can see the agenda that's being pushed. It's there. If you know exactly what you're looking at, then you can see what that is. And so what's happening? The violence is not happening between people. It's happening from one side, smashing out businesses, right? The looting, the burning, the destruction, all that stuff. What they really want is they need to stir up the physical conflict and it's not happening. So what do they do? Well, nine times out of 10, not saying that you won't have some real people that won't do this, of course, because there are those types. But nine times out of 10, the same groups that pay the protesters that are out there for one side will come through and fund the protesters on the counter side of that protest. That's what they'll do. They'll pit the two sides against each other, both paid by the same groups, both financed by the same groups. And they'll make sure that they've got news cameras out there for the world to see. So right on cue, because nothing's happening, no pushbacks being made to the ones that are out there burning and rioting and looting. Nothing's happening there. What's happening? Now we've got counter protests come out, right? We've got some groups of people that have come out now. uh, And it's, of course, right out of NBC, right on cue. A group of white men seen mocking George Floyd's death as BLM protesters passed by uh, included a corrections officer in South Jersey. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that this is fake. I'm saying that nine times out of 10, it is. There are occasionally real people that are out there, but more often than not, they're usually another group that's been hired to stand out there. Like, for example, the last time that we saw the uh, uh, a protest on, I can't remember what it was, Bruce, but they were all over the international news TV channels about they were standing up there holding Nazi flags. And there were like two guys. They were standing off in the corner holding those up. You know, those guys were paid. I mean, it's just it's it's so it's so much of a joke when you can just look right through it. But anyway, a man. Right. This this is another sign that it's probably fake. A man whose identity has not been verified was seen kneeling on top of another man laying down along Delcy Drive as a group marched past Franklin Township on Monday. Another man with a group filmed the others. So the New Jersey Department of Corrections said in a statement that one of the men involved was a corrections officer at Bayside State Prison. Okay, fair enough. He was identified. Okay, maybe he was maybe he was a real guy. Okay, fine. But why aren't they releasing the identities of the others? I mean, you know, they probably got him. So right. Like I said, right on cue, these types of uh, crowds start showing up. Well, it was uh, it was peaceful. So it's within their right to do. Are they agitators? More than likely, whether or not they're real people. Well, I mean, they're real people. But, you know, whether or not they did it on their own volition or they were paid, I don't know. Either way, it's an agitator protest. This one, this is the thing is with the the whole George Floyd situation, pretty much 100 percent of the the population was. Yeah, this is bad. And I don't understand what the what the protests are about with the Floyd, you know, situation, unless you're going for police brutality, which, you know, 
look, I, I, I think every American is against police brutality. So I, I don't understand the protests. Like I could get it if uh, the majority of people were, you know, for police brutality and they're just protesting because uh, I don't know. It, this all doesn't make any sense, really, other than the fact that they're trying to destroy things. And, you know, there's a there's a different motive. But yeah. Well, I divide them into different categories. There's protesters, and these are the ones that have gone out peacefully. They've marched. They've called for reform. They've, they've made their point known. That's cool. Like you said, they have their constitutional right to do so. I may not agree with what they're saying 100%, but I will defend their right to say it. But then you have the rioters and the looters. And the only thing they seem to be intent on is what can they smash? What can they burn? They're not interested in change. They just want to say, oh, I'm on TV. Yeah, we burned the car. We did this. And as far as the counter protesters, again, I'm sure there are some people that have strong feelings on either side. But for something like that, I think they're just, as Bruce said, agitators, which is a good description. They're just putting out fire with gasoline. If people remember that David Bowie song. I'm assuming we're going to go ahead and get into the real good stuff now. As you said, Tavish, they really don't. They really don't have a clue, right? They they don't have uh, they don't have any idea. And so I wanted to get into some uh, some things today. I wanted to talk about a few um, a few things I found out this afternoon. Uh, Bruce, you and I have been going over some of that stuff, uh, and I also wanted to make some comparisons about what we're seeing with uh, groups like Antifa and what we're seeing with their tactics, what their goals are, and where we see society where where we see not just one country i'm not i'm not just speaking of simply the united states here but western civilization as a whole i want to go over all that stuff i always say that there's an order and a process to build society and then that on top of that after society is built there's an order and a process to facilitate society and it's it's not from a standpoint of, oh, well, I know how to do this better than the next person. No, it's a process of sitting down, looking at what's worked, looking at what has gotten us to where we are, good and bad, uh, what we've learned from it, and how do we move forward? You know, really forward. When I say forward, I mean forward, as in real progress, not back a thousand years, but forward. And the more, the most important thing to understand is you've got people out there calling for change. You, you have groups out there like, I mean, there's not one. There's there's a multitude of them. There's groups like BLM. They're out there calling for massive change. There's groups like uh, Antifa. They're calling for change. Even people that are not the political movements, groups like the UN, they're calling for change. Well, what are they calling for? What exactly are they calling for? What do they represent? What are their tactics that they're using to carry out that change? Have they even presented a plan? You're just hearing change, 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 reform, reform, change. That's what we're hearing. Just like we got with Obama when he ran for president. Change. That's all you heard was hope and change. You didn't hear anything else outside of that. You didn't hear what it was. Those of us that could understand what he was saying knew what it was. But it sounds good to somebody on the surface. Well, we need change. We need reform. We need hope. Okay. All right. I agree with you on that. We do need change. We were ready for change as a nation. That's why he was elected. The country was ready for a change after the disaster of Bush and the disaster of Clinton before him. So we were ready to go in a new direction. And by the way, just on a side note, if the United States was this big, all-encompassing, systemic, racist society, he never would have been elected. Okay, I'm just going to throw that out there. Side issue. But the fact is, is we're hearing change and reform. You know, we, we need to do all this to address this. Do they even have a plan? Do they even know what they're doing? Do they even know what they're saying? So these are the things we're going to get into. So let's start with let's talk Antifa. Right? Let's, let's start with their tactics, social media. OK, because we've heard talk about how they're organizing, right? The groups like Antifa, they're organizing on social media. So what happens? Right. It's almost like a, a well choreographed play that you watch and how these people communicate. What's happening? How are they doing this so well? I heard an interview of a former Facebook employee and he was, yeah, he and the rest of his team, they were in charge of being TOS monitors, terms of service monitors. So essentially their job was to monitor all people that posted content, especially live video, because apparently you can do Facebook live or whatever it is. Their job was to monitor this particular activity and to then report any type of material that was to be inappropriate or that went against the company's TOS, such as extremist views, acts of violence, hate speech, th those kinds of things, right? Companies have to have monitors like that, especially when it comes to any type of lawsuits or any anything that could happen. They say, oh, well, we have this team here working on it and these are the ones that are responsible for it. Okay, fine. So 
one thing that they were noticing, the, the team of monitors, one thing that they were noticing was they would see intermittent posts from organizations like Antifa. And what were they doing? They were forming Facebook groups. Now, I'm not entirely familiar with how these Facebook groups operate. However, I do know that Facebook Messenger has recently created a new type of service, meaning they've created the private messaging group. Now, what does that mean? That means that they are allowed to communicate privately. It's, it's that simple. Yes. End-to-end encryption is also what that system employs. So how does end-to-end encryption work? Essentially, Bruce, let's say I send you, let's say you and I are talking on Facebook Messenger in a private message, right? In a private group. Okay. How this works is I send you a message from my phone. Okay. You get that message and you can see that message. No one in between there can see that message. Only your device and my device. That's it. What the monitors can see on the inside from Facebook is they can see the name of the group. That's all they can see. They can't see what is being said inside of that group. They can only see the name of the group. What, you know, what point am I trying to make here? It was brought to this guy's attention that these groups, that particular organization, they were organizing on Facebook. As they dug further into or deeper into the Facebook messenger groups, the private messenger groups, they were able to determine that they had the entire network on Facebook, as in it was being broken down by region, by state, by locale, all of it. And this is how they were communicating. They could see the names of the groups, but they couldn't see what was being said in those groups. So what they do, they reported, they took down all their observations. They reported it upward, you know, as they're supposed to do, just like any with any company. You take down the information, you send it up and you say, this is a problem. This is something we need to address. Well, what they realized was two or three weeks would go by and the groups were still there. And they're like, well, what's going on here? What, what's happening? By them being declared as they are as a domestic terrorist organization, we, we can't have this. They're a hate group. So why isn't anything being done? So they would submit the observations again. Again, nothing would be done. So eventually they all said, well, what are we even doing here? If this is being ignored, we don't agree with any of this stuff. We're not signing on to all this stuff. So the team walked and some of them have come forward and and given interviews to this. And so the thing you have to ask yourself is why are these companies on board with this? Why? I mean, I think pretty much the intention is is pretty self-explanatory. The companies themselves are after the long-term authoritarian goal. Social scoring, right, Bruce? We've been talking about it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Now, about a month ago, and I, I want to lead into this, about a month ago, we were talking back and forth about what the COVID lockdowns, you remember the COVID thing? You know, that, that thing was a few months back. We were talking about what was going to happen if the lockdowns continued, what was going to happen. And I had said at the time that if the governments didn't stop doing what they were doing, if they didn't just come out and admit fault and say, okay, we made a mistake. This is where we went wrong. And this is how we're going to have to get out of it. That's all they had to do. That's all they had to do. Instead, what did they do? They didn't admit fault and they doubled down. And I warned at the time, because I know history, I warned at the time, if they allowed the economies to spiral out of control, they kept people locked down, you were going to see a resurgence and a backlash from extremist groups, be it right or left, doesn't matter. You're going to see an extremist group rise. What are we seeing? We're seeing that. I want to play what I said on May 17th and May 18th. Okay. And you can go back and listen to this. I took I took both instances from each day and I put them into one for the interest of time because I basically said the same thing both days. So take a listen to this. When you have something like this and the governments are continuing to press down, they refuse to admit that they're wrong. They won't admit they're wrong. They'll double down. As I've been saying all along, governments will not admit fault. They will double down. They're doubling down now and they will double down again before they come out and say, look, we made a mistake and we're not going to continue this anymore. That would be the easiest thing for them to do. Just stop doing what you're doing. Stop. That's all you have to do. Same thing with these governors and these mayors in the United States. Stop doing this. Stop doing what you're doing or you're going to create a backlash the likes of which you've never seen. And it's going to be something that is not going to just get you caught up in it. It's going to get everybody else in the the average public caught up in it as well. And so we don't need to go there. We don't need to give these extreme groups an opportunity like this laid at their feet. These people don't know what to do. They won't come out and admit they're wrong. They do not admit when they're wrong. Governments don't admit fault. They double down. Okay. There is a very concerning danger here in the midst of this. By these governments continuing these lockdowns, you're going to cause the rise 
in extremist parties. This is going to happen. The smartest thing that these governments can do right now is stop what you're doing. Because if you don't, then you're going to cause the rise in the extremist parties and people will get on board with them. The extremist parties will jump in bed with the protests because it suits their agenda. It will gain them popularity. Do you people not understand this? You're going to cause a backlash of epic proportion and it's going to be your downfall. So if you want to keep democracy, these extremists, they don't care. They don't care. You get extremists involved in this and the ball goes either way. That's not the way to go. We don't need to go down that road. We need solid, stable foundations of democratic rule. We don't need extremism. And by you continuing to do what you're doing, you're fueling these extremists. You're playing right into their hand and you're going to put them in positions of power. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen if these things continue? As you said, Bruce, it's going to be a rebound. It's going to be that rebound effect. You're, you're talking now that it's going to be like an, a complete red tidal wave, in, in a sense, in the United States, which means it'll be a sweeping victory for Republicans across the board. So this is what's going to happen. This is what you're going to cause. If you don't stop this, then you're going to cause these people to come to power, which is going to be the antithesis of what you represent. Are we there? I would argue that we're there. They have caused and played into the hand of the extremist groups that have now risen from this. Would you agree? Is that a literal question? or That's is a that literal a question, rhetorical? yes. That's a literal question. Okay. Well, I mean, it's not really, <laughs> don't really have to look too deep to see that there's extremist groups that are instigating uh, riots. So, I mean, pretty self-explanatory in my opinion. Also, wouldn't this be um, fall under the heading, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Extremist groups, hey, we can advance each other's agenda. You know, we have a common enemy. We're just on different sides of the fence. Whether or not they know it, they seem to be working together. Was this, you know, is this a prior planned operation or are they just feeding off each other because they have mutual goals until the goal is met, then they have to deal with each other. Right. And this is this is the opportunity that I was talking about. You'll have opportunists jump in with all this and do it, the, the big pylon. You'll have the extremist group present themselves right? This is how it works. You'll have the extremist group present themselves, and then they will slowly start gathering in other groups. And you're seeing that now. You're, you're seeing that now. If you go look at BLM's charter, you'll, you'll see what they're encompassing. You look at Antifa's uh, stated goals, you see who they're encompassing. And so you'll have people that, that work together because they have that common enemy, like you said. Just like I made reference yesterday to the old Bolshevik revolution in Russia, you had them making alliances with other groups to overthrow the czar and implement Lenin's version of socialism. And so the bigger issue here is now is, and I'm not going to get conspiratorial here, I'm just pointing this out. The governments that did this, the governments that allowed this to happen, did they do it on purpose? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Did they do it on purpose? Is this something they wanted? Because the more I look at it, the more I think that that's what I'm seeing. You also have a complicit media. Well, I, I wouldn't uh, a collaborator media. OK, I'll, I'll go there. I'll, I'll go that step. You know, Bruce, you pointed that out. A collaborator media. Why do I say that? The media gives cover to the governments during the lockdowns. Correct. They carried the ball. They were the ones reporting everything. And this is how it is. And these are the decisions that are taking place and blah, blah, blah. Now that the agenda has shifted, now that that's happened, you have the media giving cover to the extremist groups like Antifa. They're giving them cover. Why do I say that? Why is that happening? They're out there burning stores. They're looting. They're rioting. They're shooting people in the streets. With impunity, an MSNBC reporter standing there saying, we're, we're witnessing a, a largely peaceful protest and there's a three-story fire raging behind him in the shot. They cut to another woman at CNN. No, not too much going on here today. Most people are, are out here being peaceful and holding up signs and, and standing in solidarity, solidarity as there's a police cruiser on fire behind her in the shot. They give cover to these organizations. Why? It kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. There's the protesters, and then you had the agitator rioters. You heard, if you yourself said relatively, mostly. Okay, so there's the fringe element doing this. I don't agree with it, but it's one of those things that tactically, I think they hit the nail on the head by using this, by working together where they planned it or not. Strategically, I don't know where they're going with it other than the fact that, hey, we take out you, and now we can fight each other. But tactically, it's like the Arab Spring, um, Hong Kong. 
Tiananmen Square where they used networks, whether it was a phone, computer chat rooms, whatever, to coordinate, hey, troops are coming this way, protesters going that way. Tactically, it makes sense to do that. And I'm not saying one side's right or wrong or yes or no, but tactically, it does make sense to use technology to coordinate your efforts. Force magnifier, as we said in the military. Right, of course. And and you can tell that these people are trained. I mean, we, we watched a video of some of their tactics when they were antagonizing a crowd last week. What was it, Bruce? I mean, how, how they were able to go in, six people in, smashed up a police cruiser, burned it. Uh, and then at the time they did that, they were all working together. You could tell they were all working together. And within 60 seconds... Within the window of 60 seconds, they were in and out, and you could tell how well they were working together. So you can't tell me these people aren't trained. You can't tell me that they're not trained to do this type of thing. They are a radical, revolutionary Marxist movement, period, end of story. That's what they are. And they're a domestic terrorist organization, and they should be treated as such. And if the media gives them cover, then guess what? They get looped in there with them. Guilt by association, as far as I'm concerned. The AP has come out today and said, little evidence of Antifa links in the U.S. prosecutions of those charged in protest violence. Are you serious? Are you serious? The U.S. Justice Department moved swiftly to bring federal charges against 53 individuals accused of violence during nationwide protests. Protests again with this. This swept across the U.S. calling for an end to police brutality. Attorney General William Barr promised a crackdown on members of the anti-fascist movement known as Antifa and other extremist organizations and other extremists he blamed for helping to drive the violence. By Reuters exam- or ex- examination of federal court records related to the charges, social media posts by some of the suspects and in interviews with defense lawyers and prosecutors found mostly disorganized acts of violence by people who have few obvious connections to Antifa or other left-wing groups. Maybe the 53 people they snatched up, but... Nonetheless, what's happening? Again, I say they're given cover. They're given cover by the media. Yeah. Bruce, I saw you clicked off there. You want to say something? Yeah. So to your point right there, we're, we're saying that by looking at, uh, by observing their social media posts, they're mm-hmm. not organized. Well, we just went over that all of the social media they're using is encrypted. Correct. You know, it's through chat services. So how are mm-hmm. you going to look at their social media and say, well, no, they're not involved at all when it's all encrypted. You don't have access well, to it. They're, I think what they're doing, and you're right, I think they're paying lip service to it. They're just saying, oh, well, we've looked at this uh, this group. Antifa's not that stupid. They're they're not that stupid. They, the organizers, right? I'm not talking about the meth heads out there in the streets, the one that just came out of their parents' basement with the, with the green skin, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the ones that are the actual organizers and facilitators of that organization. That's what I'm talking about. They are extremely intelligent. They're sharp. They're focused, and they know exactly what they're doing. But- I want to end with this aspect of it, right? Because this is this is key here. As I said, when we started to get into this, you're hearing talk about change, reform, into brutality, into violence. They're out there causing violence and they're calling for an end to violence. Please tell me you see the hypocrisy and all that. But the fact is, is that when they offer things such as change and reform, like you're hearing in Minneapolis right now about defunding and disbanding the police department. What are you going to replace it with? I actually heard an interview this morning from that Lisa Bender creature up there on the the city council. And she said she was asked a question by Wolf Blitzer, right? The Wolf Blitzer, the the biggest waste of of a CNN anchor, if there ever was one next to Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon. But he comes out and asked her a question flat out. And it was a it was a direct question. I'll give him credit for that. He says, Okay, if you have people that are experiencing problems with crime in Minneapolis and you're disbanding the police department, what are they going to do? And she actually says, well, at the current time, they can call the police department. Um, Lady, you're 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 disbanding the police department and you're saying that people can call the police. You, You people are idiots. You're idiots. You deserve everything you get. I feel sorry for the community that they have to live under scum like you. But let's look at the bigger picture here. You have fools like that that want to come out and disband and defund police departments. Okay, mistake number one. So what are their plans then? The answer is they don't have any. What about markets? Right. Let's just say for the sake of argument here that 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 these extremist groups, you know, whatever they might be. I I don't care which one it is. Pick your favorite. But let's just say that an extremist group, okay, in general comes out and seizes power. They seize control or they promote themselves as a. I don't know, a presidential candidate, for example, and they just simply start calling for change and reform like we're hearing calls for now. Okay, do you know how markets work? Do you know how monetary systems are established? Because this one's about to collapse in on itself. Do you know how to manage budgets? Apparently, even our Congress can't figure any of that stuff out. 
They can't manage a budget. Apparently, they don't care about monetary because they're just printing money like it's nobody's business. Helicopter money at this point. Do they know anything about finance capital? Do you know anything about business? How to establish it? Do you know anything about how to build society in general? There's a process to that. It's taken us 2,000 years, two millennia to get here in the West, just in the West, 6,000, 8,000, you can go back further than that, 8,000 years total that we can that we know of that we can record back to Mesopotamia. But see, these people don't know any of that. You know anything about trade? All you all you good, you good progressives, you good liberals, you good woke people. You know anything about trade? You know anything about sales? You know anything about supply chains? Do you know anything about farming? Do you know anything about agriculture in general? Do you know anything about food production? Do you know anything about nutrition? You can make the vegan argument, I guess. Do you know anything about infrastructure? Do you know anything about manufacturing? What about a health system? You know how to manage that? No, all you know how to do is espouse free health care for all. That's about all you know when it comes to managing a health system. Do you know anything about environmental standards? Real environmental standards? Ones that actually protect habitats? Or do you just believe in the Green New Deal? Right. Which is nothing but a giant fraud and a wealth transfer and a way to implement socialism. I think in the midst of all this, regardless, aside from all these issues with the riots themselves, just those by themselves. And now with the calls to defund the police departments, disband the police departments, I think at this point in time, the Second Amendment argument is over. There's no debate on that anymore because you're going to get rid of people's means of protection and then you're not going to allow them to defend themselves. What are you going to create a committee? You're going to create some kind of committee for people to actually call into. They'd be put on hold if they call 911 and someone might show up. That's what happens in countries where they don't have police departments and how those people are treated. I would encourage you to visit some of those countries. How about that? Go visit a country that doesn't have a police department. Now, I don't have really much room to talk at this point because technically I uh, I live in a country that uh, at the moment that doesn't have uh, local police departments. They have a federal police department. But each particular locale has their own detachment. And so how does that work? Well, essentially, it's it's federalizing the police, which is what they want to do in the states, right? But there's a difference. There's a big difference. I live in a town of 15,000 people. There's not a police department here, but there's not the criminal element. Of course, you have people that do bad things in society. You have people that are going to break the law. Crime happens everywhere. It does. But you have a different culture of people. The United States is not Europe. You have a different culture of people. Certainly, an American city, I don't care which one it is, an American city is not a European city. And I would argue that some of these places, <laughs> believe me, you don't want to get rid of a police department in a European city. But this is a completely different set of circumstances. This is a different culture of people. Do you people even understand that you have to create a certain set of criteria to even form the fundamental building blocks of a society? how it starts with the individual. And, and I'm not saying that that's the only way, because not just with the individual, but it has to be from everything else. There, there's other factors involved here. If you create a society, then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to take from the actual ideology that works. But see, you have disdain for that, don't you? Western ideology, you can't stand it. All the charters we're seeing out of these uh, these extremist groups, fundamental disdain for Western ideology. The uh, What was it, Bruce? The prescribed Western family unit must be destroyed. Isn't that how it went? Something along those lines? Uh, nuclear, yeah. Nuclear, nuclear family. family. Okay. Yeah, nuclear family. Okay. Well, right there, that's the basis of Western civilization is the nuclear family. You want to destroy that. Well, just for an example, how we got to this point over the last two millennia, I'll just give you an idea for those that don't know. We started with that ideology of the family. We started with that. We then moved to an agrarian type society. You know, we had to establish a baseline of agriculture before we could move on any further, because if you can't feed your population, well, then you can't move past that, can you? We then moved to the Industrial Revolution because, well, we have enough to feed our people. We have enough to keep them healthy. We have enough to keep them in you know, good health and, and give them good nutrition. So now we can move forward and we can create an industrial society. But see, you don't know anything about that, do you? Everything's been sold out to China. So you're too inept to figure out that that's even happened and that has to be rectified in the first place. So you don't understand that. Next, we had to develop sanitation and medical services. We had to develop medicine because if you don't have 
agriculture first to build industry and then you don't have industry, well, then you're not going to build, be able to be prosperous and develop hospital, medicine, sanitations, infrastructure. Then comes the demographic management. How do you handle the population growth so it doesn't exceed the infrastructure and the society collapses? Do you even know how to do that? Planned Parenthood doesn't count. I hate to tell you. Then you have to work on transportation and communication. You think Facebook's always going to be there? What are you going to run around your little electric cars, your self-driving cars? You think that's going to fix it? Do you, do you even know how to build cars? Oh, I forgot. That's a that's a capitalist invention, right? Invented by a by an evil person. Yeah, see, we can't have that. That Henry Ford guy. Is there a statue of him we can take down somewhere? So the fact is, is that you have to build a knowledge base in a society. If you're going to create a society, see, they think by tearing all this stuff down, they're going to create some kind of utopia, right? They have to destroy all this. Well, then once they get theirs, you know, that was wrongfully taken from them, then this is somehow all going to create some uh, wonderful uh, Garden of Eden, right? Yeah. So do, do you even understand that you have to first create a base of knowledge in a society? You have to do that through education. You have to do it through religious organization. You have to do it through family infrastructure. Do you know how to do that? Because I don't think you do. You're materialistic. You're nihilistic. You don't know anything about that stuff. Do you know that you have to have agriculture in a society so you can feed your people? That's the backbone of any civilization is the farms. You have to feed your people. So after you do that, then you have to create industry because then you have to expand your civilization. You have to expand your, uh, your, your way of life. You have to increase your standard of living. So with industry comes innovation. And then with innovation comes more production. You get more production. You, know, you increase your knowledge base a little further because you have to have higher educated people in order to be able to innovate and create the higher production capacity. What does this do? This then creates prosperity. So what does prosperity and production create? That creates goods, marketable goods that you can trade, which none of which you know how to do. You don't know how to trade. You know how markets operate. All of this works in synchronization, all of it. When you have goods, it creates wealth. But see, you want to steal wealth from people, people that earn it. You know, no one gave me a damn thing. Nothing. I don't claim to have any kind of privilege. I never have. I didn't have a lot growing up. And I know none of the rest of you guys around here did either. But we did the best we could. Our parents worked hard to give us what they could. So when you have wealth that you earn, that you create from the fundamental building blocks of how society is built up with laissez-faire, not government intervention, but a free market system, which you detest, it creates freedom. It creates individualism. But see, that doesn't work in the collective, does it? No, 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 no. That doesn't work. These people that create this kind of so-called change and so-called reform know none of what I just mentioned. None of it. They don't care about any of it. They, they sit there and they, they parade around that, oh, we're doing this in the name of justice. We're doing this in the name of fairness. We're doing this in the name of progress. You people are a sick, nihilistic group of low-life degenerates. That's what you are. You don't know how to do anything. You don't know how to compete in society. You don't know how to build a product or a service. You don't know how to do anything, really. You don't know how to operate within the confines of the system that has been successful and has allowed humankind to be the most prosperous and powerful that it has ever been. And so what do you want to do? You want to tear it down. 2,000 years, millions of lives lost to preserve it. And for what? So a bunch of losers like you can turn around and, and piss it all away? Well, all of you can go to hell. Any of you have any comments on anything that I just said? I was going to say, well said, Johnny. Well said on that. A couple of points I picked up on. Europe versus the U.S. To me, historically, Europe always seemed to be small tribes, whether it's the French, the British, whatever, versus, say, in the U.S., we're, we're the mutts of the world. We're at least huge tribes. But we also have never had major wars other than, say, the Civil War fought on our land. Whereas Europe, it's been how many generations of conflicts? Yeah, when you look at it historically. Second, what kept popping to mind was Nietzsche, Sun Tzu, but Karl von Clausewitz said it best. War is the pursuit of politics by other means. And if you take out war and add civil unrest, civil dysfunction, civil disorder, anything along those lines, then yes, it, 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 it goes back to politics. Strategy versus tactics. Tactics, as you pointed about the protesters, less than the minute, they, they set a police cruiser on fire. Bing, bang, boom, in and out. That's tactics. What's the strategy behind it? Tear something down? You know, change the vision? It's easy to destroy something. It's damn tough to build something up, just like you were saying. You know, it took us generations to get where we are now. You can't do that overnight. There's no like flip the switch at a fire sale, burn everything out and start all over again the next morning. Like, hey, here's your breakfast. Want some milk? 
No, you, you can't do that. You can't do that. But it goes back to those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. And I think that's what some of them here are. They're just like, oh, yeah, we're going to replace it with this. Really thought this through. Who's going to run things when you start the new system? You don't want the leaders you have. Are you going to like the leaders that may show up that when you have your utopia? Makes me wonder. I think we're 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 seeing them try to um, initiate their own worldview, socialism, Marxism, you know that kind of stuff. And do the people out there, as you said, rioting and whatnot, even the media know how to rebuild from this? No, of course not. But there's there's plans in the background for um, you know these groups, the source types, to uh, enact control and and basic basically create a new ruling party, new, it's like king and queen monarchy kind of system. I don't know. It, it, it saddens me that people are, are so willing to be used by these groups and, and not think for themselves. I'm just curious, setting up a new monarchy, if they wanted to tear down the old one, how, how are the root and file going to handle the new one? Are they going to want to tear that one down? Is this turning into an endless cycle? Where will it end? Well, I don't necessarily think that it would be a, a monarchy per se. Uh, that's, I mean, I, I believe that that's completely out of the question because Bad the ones on you're. Part. Well, no, no, it's it, but it bears relevance because you see the mobs out there in the streets. Okay, they're just cannon fodder. That's their purpose. Their purpose is put there to create the conflict and to try and destabilize and collapse the civilization. That's their purpose. They have no other purpose. Once they do that, they will be gotten rid of. Happens every time in history. Happens every time in history. If we allow that, to, I mean, if we allow the civilization to to just be like go, I mean that provided that that happens. But side issue: the fact is, is that it does bear relevance, not necessarily to a monarchy, but to the structure of how monarchs operate. It'll be a form. And it, largely, this is being funded and carried out by the large corporations, heavy amounts of finance capital by guys like Mr. Soros and the like. And, you know, he just gave 30, his Open Society Foundation just gave $33 million to Black Lives Matter just the other day. So they're going for a form of neo-feudalistic serfdom. That's what they're after. That's the new dystopic dark age overshadowed by social credit. Okay, that's my take based on the writings that that I've seen in this, uh, the things that Bruce and I have delved into over the last uh, six months to a year. But Bruce, I saw you wanting to pipe up there. Go ahead. That's exactly what, what I was meaning when I brought up the, the idea of a monarchy taking power again. It's just a contrast. We're, we're, we're putting ourselves, we're going down the road of going back into a dark age to where there is a ruling class of quote unquote nobles or, or unelected officials that will rule over us and tell us what we can and can't do. It's not American at all. That's the entire reason that we became America. You know, we, we basically said, screw you to the king and created our own democratic republic. That's well said, sir. Uh, unfortunately, due to the nature of time, uh, we are going to have to call it an end there. Gentlemen, it's been a fascinating conversation as always. Tavish, thank you for stepping in today. Uh, I appreciate you being here as always. My pleasure, sir. Bruce, as always, thank you for being here. Both of you have a fantastic evening. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening. Because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you, and we love freedom and independence. And together, we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow.